your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us this week. It's just us. We're talking to you about White Sox baseball. A lot to get to on this episode. I want to ask you, the listener, a question before we get too deep. Because this is going to be a topic on our podcast today. And let me just ask, what do these names have in common? Andrew Benintendi, Yohan Moncada, Lucas Giolito, Aloy Jimenez, Michael Kopech, Clint Frazier, Reynaldo Lopez, and Dylan Cease. We'll revisit that as we go over a few other topics on this episode, which do include the success story of Jonathan Cannon's season so far, a player named Terrell Tatum, who we've covered on a previous episode of the Roundup, the Future Sox Roundup. We did not release one this week, but on schedule again coming up. Appreciate your patience and thanks for your support on our second podcast here on the Future Sox and Sox Machine Network. So appreciate everything that you do for us. Some Sean Burke updates, as well as a draft mock by one of our favorites, Keith Law. Some information on Noah Schultz and really everything else that comes to mind at this point, because the White Sox are still competing kind of, thanks to the AL Central kind of floundering. And also, welcome back, Liam Hendricks. What a story it is, overcoming non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and those who are battling their own issues, you're listening. We want you to feel better and get better and find inspiration where you can find inspiration. We hope that you had a wonderful uh, extended weekend for Memorial Day. And it's just a wonderful story to see a guy, Liam Hendricks, who obviously means so much to the club, but then overcome something so serious and life-threatening and makes you put things into perspective. And and I, I just think of you, the listener, if you're going through any struggles that we hope you pull out of it because uh, you mean a lot to us. And obviously we want everybody to enjoy the White Sox for as long as they can throughout their lives. James, let's begin with a story by J.J. Cooper. This is something that we've been discussing a lot on this podcast ever since the minor league shakeup taking away short season affiliates. It, it puts a lot of pressure on full season players uh, in their first full season, I should say, to perform in Kannapolis, which is low A and it's full season. You don't necessarily have the safety cushion of short season and extended spring because now it's just extended spring training that leads into the Arizona Complex League for the White Sox perspective. So J.J. Cooper of Baseball America put out an article, and James, you had some thoughts uh, just the concept of extended spring training versus rookie affiliates, a rookie ball, a short season. But J.J. had some had an angle to it, and I'd love for you to explain and, and give you your thoughts. Yeah, so J.J. Cooper, Baseball America, I mean, like in his lead, I think like the original tweet that Baseball America had just like a, you know, a little over a week ago, you know, I think the, the gist was kind of extended spring training has outlived its usefulness um, for major league teams. And, you know, there's like a few parts to it. In there, too, he says, and no longer will there be 30 or so players who seem to disappear into another world from April through June. No one dreams of playing in the rookie complex leagues, but at least it's three steps up from extended spring training. So, you know, like extended spring training is happening right now in Arizona, in Florida, and there's just like players at complexes playing in games that that don't count. 
And the only people that see these guys are, you know, families there. And, you know, there's some scouts. Like I know that like Eric Long and Hagen of Fangraphs like often is out there, but like nobody ever hears about any of these guys. And, you know, one of the, the hidden reasons for just the extended spring was that players didn't get paid. They don't get paid. They hadn't gotten paid like unless they were playing in a championship season. So at like one of the affiliates essentially. Well, but that's changed like since the the miners have unionized. So now everybody gets paid. So JJ's premise was basically and look like a lot of scouts and he even mentioned like some scouting directors kind of want to go this way that it just like doesn't make any sense to have these games in Arizona not count anymore. So I think the the proposal is basically having full season rookie ball split up into two seasons. So right now, you know, you could be playing games in Arizona, you know, whether that's a guy like Noah Schultz, who we'll get to, or some of your like recent international signings, like Ryan Burroughs and some of those players that are literally in Arizona playing right now, but like none of the games count. So we could do that for half of a season and then kind of reset until the draft. And then you add a bunch of guys to your team and you have like kind of a second half of rookie ball season. It seems like a really good idea that that JJ has written about. And look, my guess is he's heard from people that this is likely to happen if he's writing about it. Um, but I, I think it would be a good change. It goes along with kind of what you said in the lead and some of the things that we've kind of talked about, right? Like there's players who have to ultimately like skip a step sometimes. Like some of these guys aren't ready for low A, but there's no full season rookie ball. So you have to wait till June or July to play in games. You know, like when Great Falls was eradicated basically and no longer a White Sox affiliate. Like some guys are just in weird spots where you're sent to Canapolis to like flounder immediately. Um, so I think I think this would be a really good development if this is actually what occurs. You know, I think about all of it and what you're saying. And when I think of extended spring, I just think of organized instruction. Not a lot of high pressure situations there. Yeah, it's live action, but at any point, they could take a pause and say, hey, this is what we want to do today. And it's not necessarily the same as playing uh, the stresses and, and understanding the day-to-day of full season and competing at a higher level. And I just think it takes the competitiveness down a notch, James. What's your perception of what extended spring is today? Yeah, no, you're right. And in Cooper's piece, that's one of, one of the drawbacks is you won't be able to like roll innings like they can there. So like, because it doesn't count, right. You can send the same guy to the plate multiple times in an inning. You could have a wild pitcher. You like kind of take him out and then, you know, bring somebody else in and then you put him back on the mound, like things along those lines. Whereas like if you're counting, I guess like, you know, the, you're, you're having a box score and you're, you're counting the outcomes of these games. Maybe you wouldn't be able to do that. So that's like the one drawback, but I think people kind of universally think, what we're talking about is better than what they're currently doing. And, you know, one of the things that I said was the pay, right? Like the, the pay was one of the reasons why clubs did this. I remember a couple of years back, Yoelki Cespedes was playing in extended spring training for a long time because there was like bonus maneuverings happening with his money. And like he, you know, it didn't, it didn't count because you didn't have to pay him. So as soon as you had to pay him, then it like counting. It was just weird stuff. That's like not a thing anymore. So if that's not a thing, I think it would be cool like next year. Cause then we're, you know, like we're going to be writing about the Arizona complex league here pretty soon, like within the mm-hmm. next week. Right. The, these guys could have been playing in games since April and we'd have a much better idea. Like the white Sox or any other team could have, you know, somebody that, 
came back over the winter and looks much better than, you know, even was indicated. And we just have no idea because they're playing on backfields in Arizona and the games don't count. So if you can count it, I feel like you should count it. And, you know, with JJ Cooper kind of putting a focus on it, I think that could be coming. Um, And I just, I just think it's interesting. And obviously like one of those guys who's exciting that, you know, we haven't seen yet is Noah Schultz. Um, The reports are good. He should be in Kannapolis soon, but you know, guys like that, like he could be pitching out there and we could be getting updates every week instead of, you know, having to really dig for it. Well, let's go right to Noah Schultz then. And, and that's it's something to ponder as a baseball fan, because you want to prepare those who are entering full season affiliates the best that you can. And sometimes players are blocked for reasons that James mentioned, but also in Kannapolis, if the rosters are full and, you know, you have a 21 year old playing extended spring and it's just kind of a controlled environment. I don't know how much development you're getting out of that experience. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I I think baseball needs to kind of rectify what they had broken. They've taken away the short season. I understand the business side of it, but the player development side of it hurts. You're seeing a lot of players not play the game anymore, especially, you know, considering that the draft is being cut down and it's just lesser of a pool. So you want baseball to continue at at the highest level it can possibly be. And I think that is a step in the right direction in that regard. But Noah Schultz began well, I guess towards the latter part of spring training, had a flexor strain, and the White Sox were very cautious. He did not need surgery, thank goodness, but to this point, he has been working to pitch, and he has been throwing to live batters, and there's updates. Chris Getz talked about how he was bringing the fastball, and the slider has a lot of life, and there's an expectation that he'll pitch in Kannapolis soon. James, what other information can you provide? Because when you say soon, it's relative. I don't know how soon Noah Schultz will be pitching in live affiliate baseball. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's this week. I mean, like the date I was given is June first, and we're we're kind of approaching that. Um, you know, he so he faced hitters. Scott Merkin wrote about him in one of his recent newsletters, where he like spoke with Chris Getz. Chris Getz said, "You know, we're talking about a six foot nine left handed pitcher that's very projectable. So, you know, in Arizona, he's established daily routines, whether it's been in the weight room, arm care program, long toss, catch play." during his side sessions and then the consistency of his pitches, right? He's, he's throwing a four seamer. He added a two seamer and then a slider and a change. So there's always something to focus on said gets, but I mean, look like from people that I've talked to that have seen him or, you know, people that have talked to people that have seen him, like he, he looks really good. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, like Noah Schultz is like after he gets to Kannapolis, he's like in on top 100 list to like end this year, just because like some of the rave reviews, like just from him there. And obviously I think this week was the first time that he's faced hitters from another team or from another organization. He had his second live BP session last Friday um, during extended spring camp where he faced eight hitters and struck out all of them. You know, even Merkin said he heard high praise from three or four people not even associated with the White Sox after Schultz threw two innings against the Dodgers during instructional league. So, you know, like some some real hype with this kid. We're going to see him. Um, it's, I think it's interesting that we're going to see him in low A. And, it, you know, it should be pretty soon. Um, it's just, you know, he throws more strikes than you would think a six foot nine lefty would throw. And it's one of those things that we kind of have talked about, like, you know, it's like he's an outlier because of how big he is, but like he doesn't really pitch like that. Like he, he, he has pretty good command. So that's the part that's interesting to me. 
Um, and then just, you know, from the draft, like I kind of dug around because we look, we were like a little bit surprised, obviously. And I know I've said this like a hundred times now, you know, just like, I didn't know, like, I thought he was going to be expensive. Apparently he set a price prior to the draft teams like the Cubs and the Padres were very interested in him to the point where, you know, I, I don't know for sure that if he weren't available in the second round, like, I don't know that, um, the Cubs would have taken him over Jackson Ferris necessarily, but I do know that, you know, he went to Wrigley on a pre-draft visit and worked out like a week prior to the draft. Like, I think they were, they were very interested. San Diego was very interested. You know, the White Sox supposedly called him, you know, like right around pick 24, 25 or so, um, basically said, look, we're interested in taking you, you know, it, it has to be at full slot. Yes or no, essentially. And the player decided to, you know, start his professional career instead of going to Vanderbilt. I don't know. And it doesn't really matter at this point, right? Like what his pre-draft number was, like what he was saying. Like if he said, like, I need three and a half million and he took a cut to two point, who knows, right? But, you know, the White Sox got it done at $2.8 million. It was surprising then. Um, I guess it's not as surprising now, like in hindsight. But I mean, look, they, they took this guy because they think that he could be a top of the rotation starter. And, you know, yeah, he's a little further away, but, you know, they, they settled on or they went with the the upside of a top rotation, top of the rotation type guy instead of taking a, you know, a back end college starter. So, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think we're finally going to see him. Um, and I think it's, you know, that's something that interests me for the rest of the season. His starts should be must see for Canapolis, you know, to, to close out this year whenever he does finally get there. Yeah, that's really fascinating how, like, the way teams evaluate a certain prospect at a certain range throughout the draft. And I'm looking forward to our draft coverage because I know Josh Nelson and James Fox, they're all over everything, all the intricate details of what it means for play. Like, the best player may not go number one overall, but we'll see, just based on slot value. But at the same time, when James is talking about Noah Schultz pitching against other teams and other players, I think back to when he faced the Dodgers and instructs, like James mentioned, and you know the Dodgers dugout was clapping and cheering wildly whenever one of their hitters made contact, and it was a foul ball. You know what I mean? That's where Noah Schultz is at his age, facing that type of competition around his age group, nineteen years old and twenty years old, right? And those guys are giving him his ups. And another very encouraging thing about Noah Schultz's pathway to this point is following a flexor strain without surgery and across the multiple weeks of rehab, he's pitching live over and over again in between bullpen sessions. So that means he's getting up and down. Now it's not incredibly stressful compared to live action, but following live action, he's able to pitch again. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Baby steps here in Noah Schultz. And once he gets to full season Canapolis, that's something James, I I'm excited because the way Noah Schultz, separate like his stride cuts down so much distance to home plate and with his arm action on top of the high velocity you know 100 miles an hour may look a lot faster than 100 miles an hour coming out of Noah Schultz's arm because of what I just mentioned he's just such an intriguing exciting prospect to follow as a White Sox pitcher yeah for sure and I, I you know I do think it, it's something to look forward to I I would say you know I think maybe like late this week at the earliest like it's something you know, that I would keep an eye on. I, I was told originally June 1st, you know, as a mm -hmm. date for Schultz, he, you know, he seems to be ready. That seems to be working. So if we get an announcement here in the next couple of days 
you know, that he's starting Friday, Saturday for Kannapolis, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And that would be be pretty positive, I think. Let's get some video of Noah Schultz pitching in a live affiliated game. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to you sticking around to the rest of this podcast because we have so much to get to. We have prospects that we want to really dive into as well as uh, Keith Law's mock draft and some fun that I teased at the beginning of the show. So don't go anywhere. You have the Future Sox podcast. Hey, if you're a Patreon member, uh, no ads for you. So you're coming right back. If you'd like to become a patron, go to SoxMachine.com. It really helps us out and allows us to continue to do this for you. So we'll take a break. Come back. More Future Sox podcast on the way. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking White Sox baseball and prospects. Hey, the White Sox are still in it. No matter what you say, James, I don't care. White Sox are still fighting for this division, even though the season's probably over, okay? So here's what we're talking about today. White Sox prospects who may have an impact on this group in a couple of years, right? And that begins with Terrell Tatum. Now, Terrell Tatum missed a lot of time because of performance-enhancing drugs, right? Okay, so he served that suspension. He's back And we listed Terrell Tatum on our preseason top 30 list as the 30th ranked prospect in White Sox, in the White Sox farm right now. He is outperforming that measurement, in my opinion, uh, performing in Winston-Salem so far. He just shows a lot of athleticism, James. And I know you wanted to touch on this player specifically. We talked about Terrell Tatum on the roundup with Elijah Evans uh, about a week ago, but he's turning 24 in July outfielder lefty lefty what's your scouting report so far in Terrell Tatum and what do you like about the player yeah I mean he's been pretty good I mean I I guess one thing in in Merkin you know I know we talked about you know Merck's piece on Schultz but in you know his most recent one he's kind of talked about Tatum a little bit and the one thing I guess I didn't really think of was you know just like in 2020 he was in college um so like obviously like they missed a lot of that season so like he's like young a young 23 like the top the Sox took him in the 16th round you know you just kind of who knows right like a lot of those guys just like kind of turn into org guys that play in your system for a while but like you know sometimes they do hit and they turn into big leaguers I mean we've seen Romy Gonzalez was an 18th rounder right so you know he's just um he's been good I mean obviously I think we'd both like to see him in Birmingham but he's I mean he's put up a 145 WRC plus in high a it's like a leadoff profile you said it like left left you know, he's a big base stealing threat and he has, a you know, he has a little bit of power. So similar to Jacob Burke, I think, with some of the confidence. I don't know. Did you read this this piece that Merck wrote? So, you know, Terrell Tatum said, I want to be part of the team in Chicago this season because I see what we have and what we need. And I feel like I can help us win ball games. My ultimate goal 
in all is to become a major league baseball player. I know I have the ability to play at the major league level. So, you know, look, you want all these guys thinking that obviously he's, he's just in high a, I think we need to see it at double a, but you know, you mentioned the 30th ranked prospect in this system at the beginning of the year. I think he'd probably be in the back half of the teens right now. If we had to re-rank, I'm very curious to see the first updated baseball America, just to kind of see where, where they have Terrell Tatum right now because he's been super interesting i mean third in the south atlantic league with 20 stolen bases he's got three homers 11 doubles 37 runs scored you know he's just an energetic player probably stays um in center at least for a while pretty confident kid who look the white Sox seem to to be bringing in some guys like this who are just like high energy types and it's interesting because you know, like the, for years, right, we kind of talked about these White Sox outfielders in the system that all kind of floundered and none of them really made it. And it's it's kind of been a sore spot for them developing outfielders. They might have a couple in their system right now in Terrell Tatum. And, you know, I mentioned I mentioned Jacob Burke, a guy that I obviously profiled in 15 games at Kannapolis. He's hit 352, 426, 537, WRC plus a 173. So he should probably be in Winston with Tatum and Tatum should probably be in Birmingham. So look, there, there could be some movement here, I think, but at least like some of these guys are playing pretty well in the low minors. Um, and there is, you know, there's some good taking place at least. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of success stories going on in the low minors in single A and advanced A and they're winning ball games. We really didn't say that a lot about the dash and the cannonballers over the last two seasons. So it's encouraging to monitor the top 30 players within the top 30 making leaps, James. What do you think about this? The numbers speak for themselves, Tatum said. Across the board, I think I'm one of the best players in our organization and that I can help our team win in any facet, whether it's defense, running, hitting. I have a chance to really help us win games. So that's from Merck. I thought I was the only one that got these guys to speak confidently. <laughs> well, I love to hear what Jacob Burke had to say, obviously, in the piece that you put together for Sox Machine about a month and a half, two months ago already. Man, it's been a while. Yeah, it's uh, April. Yeah. yeah, We're moving uh, in the season already, coming up on June. But that's what you want to hear from a guy. Now, I want to help the White Sox this year, You know, slow your roll a little bit, but that's the confidence. That's what you want to instill in a player. You can't teach that. Right? If that's already there inherently, then yeah. that's something that you don't have to overcome as a player. Now, the confidence is one thing, right? But the production is another. And how do you respond to failure? <laughs> there, there's more in here. Like how he talks about he's looked at as a speed guy. Like when you see his profile, you know, and he said, you'll be like, we have to defend the bunt, get rid of the ball quick. He's going to be fast. And then when I get into the box, I bring speed and I have the ability to take you deep to any field. Being able to bring that type of dynamic to the game, I consider myself a game changer. They might think I need more at-bats and more time to develop, but like you said, the numbers. So then he paused and kind of mm -hmm. said that he doesn't like talking about himself. So, <laughs> yeah. So I love this guy. Like, I, yeah. hope, I hope he goes to Birmingham. And, you know, look, his his profile, though, I feel like is is mm -hmm. the type that, probably plays in Birmingham, right? Like the guys that we worry about are like the, the big power sluggers that are finally seeing like advanced pitching for the first time. And they're mm -hmm. playing in these like monster ballparks where they like, can't really hit the ball out. Like even, you know, sheets like struggled there for a while. So I feel like this profile there might ultimately be fine, but look, if he goes to Birmingham and does similar to what he's doing now, like we always kind of talk about, you know, he could, uh, you know, we could be talking about him as a guy, with some sort of big league future fairly soon. I mean, sounds like he's a five tool player. 
to me. So let's buy into that. Terrell Tatum. So good for him. You know, we're rooting for him, and we're going to monitor Terrell Tatum. We're also monitoring the White Sox pitching staff. A couple of names we want to talk about here. Sean Burke and Jonathan Cannon. First, let's get to Jonathan Cannon. In 45 innings in advanced day, he's got a sub-3 ERA. But what's so encouraging is the 45 innings across eight starts. You know, he's pitching into the sixth every so often, and he's not walking a lot of guys. It seems to me that everything that we heard leading to this season about Jonathan Cannon, the whole high floor, throws a lot of strikes thing, it's coming to fruition. And he's showcasing the fact that he's getting higher level competition out. He turns 23 in a, in a month. So this is a guy on an upward trajectory that's moving rather quickly. I'd be shocked if we don't see him in Birmingham across the next month or two. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, this is like the toolkit, right? Like the, he's not going to be this guy that just like all of a sudden is adding all this like verticality to his fastball and he's striking out 10 or 11 guys. You know, he, he pounds the strike zone. He gets lots of outs on the ground. You know, I think it's enough strikeouts, but like he's a quick moving back end starter and he's, you know, he's, he's been good. Um, he has the third lowest whip in the South Atlantic league um, right now. And he's allowed two or fewer runs in, in, I think, all in most of his starts. Um, there was an interesting piece this week on baseball prospect journal that I will retweet from Gershon Rabinowitz. Um, and then also, you know, one of our future podcast guests, Carlos Colazo of baseball America, you know, it's just a guy that, you know, he, he's been excited about too. I just, I think Jonathan Cannon just kind of is what we thought he would be. Um, I think he finishes the year in Birmingham and I think, you know, there's an outside chance of a, 2024 big league arrival where you know we kind of know what we're looking at here it's a it's a back-end starter with a four-pitch mix who probably will never be great but is really good value in the third round because he should be able to like start in the big leagues um and you know that's where you know hopefully some more development can happen if he starts throwing a little bit harder and striking out more guys then you you know you really have something, but you, you know, you like already what the floor looks like basically with Jonathan Cannon. 37 strikeouts and 45 innings pitched. He's allowed 38 hits and 45 innings pitched. So there you go. That's a guy who throws strikes, maybe pitches to contact as he continues to ascend in the minors and, you know, trust your defense behind you. That's a guy who can make a living in the majors, especially though, James, you mentioned the increase in velocity. I'd love to see that, but his cutter slider mix He's got a lot of movement, and he throws multiple fastballs for strikes. So it's really encouraging to see Jonathan Cannon because when you listen to Chris Getz talk about those who could contribute in the White Sox rotation in the near future, he did mention Matt Thompson and Sean Burke. Unfortunately, Sean Burke specifically here has struggled a little bit in AAA Charlotte this season, and he's been on the development list a couple of times, um, which is – rather normal in the minors at this point. It, it, typically, if you're on the development list, the White Sox are, in this case, obviously want to uh, fix something that they identified and allows him to, you know, allows the White Sox roster to maneuver around a player who's not on the IL. He's got an ADRA at this point, James. You know, this is a guy who, like I said, Chris Getz was really looking forward to seeing Sean Burke maybe pitch and help the White Sox in 2023. At this rate, it's not happening, but uh, what else can you tell us about Sean Burke's 2023 season? And is there room for hope for him to maybe make a debut this year? Yeah. I mean, like Charlotte, I think is something that we all 
worried about just because of like some of the issues with command that he's had. Um, you know, double A last year, he averaged 12 strikeouts per nine, but he, but he walked four per nine. I mean, it was a 374 XFIP in Birmingham, which, you know, was decent, but the ERA was almost five. Um, you know, he, he really came on towards the end of the year. Last year, he made two starts in Charlotte um, that that were kind of rough. And then this year, he's made six starts in Charlotte. He's only thrown 21 and two-thirds innings. So, you know, I think the big thing for him, like we've kind of talked about with a lot of guys, like he just, he needs to pitch. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to care that much about like a 450 ERA in the International League if like some of the peripherals were good. But I mean, look, like obviously the ERA up around eight, strikeouts under eight per nine walks right around, you know, seven per nine. So not great. Obviously he's been back and forth off of the, uh, the, the like rehab list that you talked about. So yeah, I mean, not, not great, but I guess like the one silver lining is that at least it is Charlotte. Right. So I feel like if he gets it together at all, whether he's not healthy or, you know, whether there's just like some tweaks working with Matt Zaleski or whatever, like if he does get it together, I mean, there should be opportunity for him to pitch in the big leagues because it's, you know, like he's already at Charlotte, right? It's not like he needs to get to the big leagues from Winston-Salem. It's in triple. So yeah, so we'll see. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a chance that Sean Burke is starting September games for the White Sox. Um, But if not, I mean, you know, he's just, he's pitching in triple A and then, you know, you kind of feel like, you know, you kind of try to see how he factors in moving forward. He's part of their upper level, you know, depth, obviously, after being a third round pick back in, what was it, 2021. So, yeah, not, you know, not the start that I think White Sox, like observers, were were anticipating. You know, there's still some time to bounce back. The big thing for me is the innings, though. He's just, he has to pitch a lot more. These guys, right. if these guys are going to be future rotation members, and this is like one of our first podcasts where we haven't really talked about Christian Mena. I mean, he, he needs innings too. Like all these guys just need to throw a lot more if they're going to be relied on as starters going forward. Right. And, you know, we think of just the last conversation we had, Jonathan Ken, who's making use of the starts and he's pitching in, you know, later into ball games. And then you think of Peyton Pallad and Tanner McDougal, those who are pitching in their first full professional affiliates uh, in their seasons, they're kind of going through the same deal where, there's starts where they're dominant because the stuff is so good, although they're pitching three to four innings only, unfortunately. But those, that's a different story, and that's also a conversation for another podcast because two more topics to get to. One is the tease that I started this podcast with. We have a 2017 prospect list, the top prospects, or the top 100 list, I should say, that uh, have something in common with the 2023 Chicago White Sox. Before we get to that, Keith Law had a mock. James, you're all over the draft. What did you like, dislike about Keith Law's mock, and what did the White Sox have at 15 for them to take? Well, so Keith Law had them taking Oregon prep righty Noble Meyer, who who I will say, I mean, he's he's the uh, the, the best prep righty in this class. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, the White Sox haven't really been afraid to take high school players in the first round, they've said it right. They took Schultz last year. They took Colson Montgomery the year before. Um, so Meyer has, has earned comparisons to Mick Abel who went to Philly a couple years ago. So yeah, I, I don't really see this. I don't, I don't think they're going to take a prep righty at 15, even though they haven't really 
shied away from it. Um, but I mean, look, like with their track record, you know, it's easy to mock a guy like this to them. The I guess the bigger takeaway I had from Keith was just him kind of talking about the way that their system looks right now. Um, and and kind of how they could benefit from going going college bat, just like in a class that has as many college bats as it does. So that that's the part that I kind of found interesting because I think that there's some guys right in range that are noteworthy. So Kyle Teal, the catcher from Virginia, like I thought was like a possibility all season, but now there's like a lot of rumors and we'll talk about this over the next five shows, obviously that Kyle Teal, the catcher out of Virginia, like probably isn't going to get out of the top 10 picks and he could go as high as five to Minnesota. Um, you know, and we kind of talked about speedy outfielder Enrique Bradfield. Like I'm not, I'm not really a fan there, but two guys, Matt Shaw is a shortstop for Maryland and Tommy Troy shortstop out of Stanford you know, are both like top 20 type guys that could move quickly. You know, they, they could play second. Um, I would imagine a team will start them at short, but they're just like, you know, two of the better hitters in the class in the middle infield. So if the Sox went college bat in this spot, um, those are two guys that I would look to Tommy Troy and Matt Shaw, Matt Shaw um, of Maryland is also going to be our first draft profile up on the website um, that that I wrote that that should be um, there for your viewing at some point today if you're listening to this on Tuesday. So, and then you know, just one other thing I wanted to throw in: this hasn't really been linked anywhere yet. MLB Pipeline has this kid ranked 18th overall, Colin Hoke. I think it's H O U C K. Um, he's a he's a prep infielder from Parkview, Georgia. I will say the White Sox have been in to see him a ton. They've had cross checkers in to see him. So, you know, he's, he's another, you know, prep infielder. He's a three, he was a three-star quarterback recruit um, out of Georgia as well. Um, I, I would imagine he gets taken and, you know, doesn't find his way to college. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- it's just another twitchy, like big athlete that's probably going to stick on the infield, similar to Colson Montgomery. I don't know for sure that he'll be available to the White Sox at 15. Um, but that's just, that's one name on the prep side. In addition to all of these college players that we're going to talk about with our guests, like over the next month. Yeah. Multi-sport athletes. I'm not opposed to the White Sox going that route. James, when you are looking through mocks and speaking with experts, do you see or hear the White Sox linked to more prep players, maybe pitchers, or is it the college route? And is it position players? Is it pitching? Like, what are you seeing more often than not? Yeah, so the Sox are uh, like a wild card under Mike Shirley. I mean, obviously, like they like Midwest kids. You know, like they've, they've been at Dylan Head's games, obviously. I just don't really think he's necessarily going to go – up that high and, and they haven't shied away from prep guys. I think this class is just interesting because like, I think there's, I think there's a consensus top five um, at the top with Skeens and, mm-hmm. you know, two of the college outfielders and two prep outfielders. But then after that, it's very college heavy because of the 2020 class that we talked about how short it was. So look, I think it's kind of a matter of like the socks could be linked to a few guys, but like if somebody falls to you at 15, like, you know, it could be just a scenario where you have a guy on the board that you can't really pass on. You know, obviously, like I said, Hauk, like they, you know, they've seen him for sure. They've had some ties to Miami third baseman, Yolandi Morales, who I'm just, you know, not, not a huge fan of that with like what else is on the 
board. So no, I, you know, I think it's a little too early for me to pinpoint like who they would like want to take, but I do think there's a lot of guys like in this 10 to 20 range that are going to be like really good picks at 15. Um, and, and the one thing we've seen with Mike Shirley, like they, they could go any direction with this pick and, I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. I guess the one thing like college pitching, there seems to be like a consensus at the top where it's Paul Skeens of LSU probably doesn't fall past number two. Chase Dolander of Tennessee was the guy that came into the season as like the, as college pitcher one and has struggled a little bit, but I'd have a tough time seeing him fall too far. And then Rhett Lauder of Wake Forest and Hurston Waldrop of Florida. So after those guys, like if those guys all go in front of the White Sox, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure there's another college starter we're taking at 15, but okay. if one of them falls, like, you know, they could do that. All right. Oh, I love going into the unknown. It, it makes things so much more interesting. And the White Sox at 15, yeah, sounds like they can go any which way. All right, let's continue the fun and end this podcast with one final thing. And that's Something that James Fox actually tipped off a former co-worker of mine, Matt Spiegel. And Matt Spiegel, who hosts Hit and Run every Sunday in the morning on 670 The Score, was talking about this. Shout out to James Fox for this little bit of information. How about the 2017 Top 100 list? How many prospects on the Top 100 list of 2017 are on the Chicago White Sox in 2023? Well, I'll give you the answer. Benintendi, Moncada, Giolito, Aloy, Kopech, Frazier, Lopez, and Cease. That's eight players on the 2017 top prospect list. Andrew Benintendi at the time was number one, Moncada two. How about that, James? A little bit of information. That's what the White Sox have currently, the 2017 top 100 list, eight of those players on the current roster. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then all the jokes came out, right? Like, I just, like, thought it was interesting, but then people said, oh, you know, like, the White Sox rebuilt right around that time, and those were, they just, like, memorized the 2016-2017 prospect list to try to get guys, like, for Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and Jose Quintana during their sell-off, and those are the only guys they know, so, like, whenever one of them becomes available, that's who they pick up, which... You know, I hope isn't true, but it's kind of funny. Um, did you have, I, I don't think I had Blake Rutherford on that list either, right? So Blake Rutherford was 37 on the same list. He's not currently in the White Sox system. He's he's with the Nationals, obviously. So that's what, that's nine guys from the list, I think. <laughs> and um, I was just, you know, I was taking one more glance at this just to see if there were any more links. Zach Collins at 81 on the mm. same list. He's currently in the Cleveland Guardians organization. Um, I, you know, I was hoping that that Carson Fulmer was on here too, but he wasn't. So, yeah. So, you know, eight guys currently in the White Sox organization. And yeah, look, it's a, it's a little bit funny. Like eight currently in the White Sox organization plus Zach Collins and Rutherford you know, from the 2017 list. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's it. true. Maybe it's true. <laughs> Kenny Kenny Williams always gets his man, right? So that is, I will uh, say the the, Fra the Frazier part of it is interesting yeah. to me, though, just because, like, it does seem like he made legit swing changes. I don't know what it's going to turn into. He was the fifth overall player in the country, I think, in, what, 2013, 2014, something mm -hmm. like that. So, like, he did have real talent at some point. So, yeah, I mean, if he's a big league contributor for you, like, off your bench, like, that's a pretty good shrewd signing but i mean it just shows you man like there's just no sure things um mm -hmm. i really don't want to go into the depressing wasteland with you of 
talking about our guy Andrew Vaughn right now. We'll share that for like another podcast. But I mean, yeah, like Clint Frazier was top five pick, like one of the, you know, one of one of these prep guys that we always talk about, right? That's like a no-brainer to go in the top five. And he's right. You know, he just hasn't done it to this point. He's already 28 years old. So, but yes, this is a long line of, look, you want a real history lesson. The White Sox have always loved former first rounders and former highly ranked, like top 100 type guys, even when Kenny was in the GM chair and, and Rick Hahn was the assistant GM. So I don't, I don't expect these sorts of things to stop anytime soon. I just love it. I love that little piece of information because baseball is just beautiful in that way. You, you just don't know. And that's why we love doing it too, following all these prospects. And you talk about Andrew Vaughn. Oh, it makes me so sad. <laughs> I hope that he does turn around his offensive capabilities because that's what will keep him in the league as a first baseman. Kind of a volatile pick, if you ask me, if you're getting this type of production out of where the White Sox took him at three when they did. So you're looking for yeah, more. You're looking for uh, more there. Well, I said it. I tweeted it yesterday. We can end with this. Like I, I don't know the next time that a team is going to take a first baseman, especially a right, right first base only type guy, like in the top five or even the top 10 after kind of seeing Andrew Vaughn and Spencer Torkelson. I mean, like Torkelson uh, was like yeah. a no brainer number one pick, despite being a first baseman. And he really just hasn't done much in Detroit either. So yeah. obviously these guys could turn it around and figure it out. But like the volatility is just the fact that like, if you're going to play that spot, like you have to, freaking mash and mm-hmm. like even like a league average like 100 wrc plus like is just super easily replaceable like if you're picking in the top five it's why you know a lot of clubs air towards what shortstops and center fielders and because once you need a first baseman you can find a failed third baseman or you know mm-hmm. something that can play first for you or you sign one in free agency or you find one later you know so it's just uh you know if, you, if you're gonna take the plunge that high with a guy like this, like you better be right. Cause they have to be really good for like the investment to be worth it. Absolutely. And it's not like we're closing the book on Andrew Vaughn. There's still a long way to go in his career. And I, I still have a lot of faith that he can figure it out at the plate. Uh, but what it's a good point by James. It's well taken. Great information on this podcast, man. Thanks for sticking around for this whole thing. We're getting closer and closer to draft season. I mean, it is draft season, but draft day, I should say, in July. Also, we're looking forward to talking to Carlos Colazzo. That is going to be quite the conversation. One of our favorites. We've been talking to him since this podcast launched. He's always given us his time. And I tell you, he works with Ben Badler, Baseball America. Check out their podcast as well. But he's about one of the more brilliant baseball minds in the industry. And we get to talk to both Ben and Carlos, among many, many others who are on the slate for you know, the guest list on the Future Sox podcast. So thanks so much for supporting us. We really enjoy doing it and we really enjoy the feedback. You can email us at futuresocks at gmail.com with any questions. Also tweet at us at Future Sox, all one word. I'm at Rankin906. James is at, at JamesFox917. I know you already follow him, but just throwing it out there for those who don't. Really fun topics of conversation today highlighted by the fact that Clint Frazier is on the Chicago White Sox Big League Club in 2023. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. We'll talk to you all next week. We release podcasts every Tuesday, so look forward to speaking to you then.